Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts with CNC Carpets. We bring the showroom to you. Or you can book a personal consultation at our fabulous new showroom in Moortown, Dramiskan. Call 087-660-40-237 or visit our website at cnccarpets.com to book an appointment. CNC Carpets, for all your carpet and wood flooring needs. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Thursday morning, the 29th of September. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Tuesday's 11 billion euro budget was the biggest budget in the history of the state. An eye-watering amount of money that previous governments could only have ever dreamed of. On the other hand, no government today could have expected the challenges ahead with inflation at its highest rate since the 1980s. And that in the context of a war in Europe and on foot of a global pandemic. Still, you may ask, how could you go wrong with 11 billion euro to cushion people from the rising cost of living and soaring energy bills? There's been a broad welcome for the budget, but there has also been criticism with opposition parties claiming that the government has aimed to keep the wolf from the doors of the well-heeled on one hand, while on the other hand, throwing the most vulnerable to the wolves. Simply put, the government stands accused of making the rich richer and the poor poorer. Now, we'll hear both sides of this debate. We're joined by Fine Gael TD for Mead West and Minister of State, Damien English, and also by People Before Profit TD for Dunleary, Richard Boyd Barrett. Good morning to both of you and thank you for taking the time to be with us. Minister, first of all, do you think the government could have done better? I think we have the balance right here, Michael. Uh, what are we trying to achieve with this budget? It's a budget of over ninety billion spend for next year, um, and it's eleven billion package in, in new new money, new spend, for both before Christmas and after Christmas as well. What we're trying to achieve here is to help people with their cost of living. Uh, anybody you talk to is under extreme pressure now and very worried for the next couple of months. This budget is to give them the confidence and the reassurance that with the various supports targeted at them uh, and the tax reductions and the support for businesses we believe we'll get people through this the next couple of months. And it's about looking after those who are at home on fixed income. Uh, if you're a pensioner living alone, uh, there's a package here of worth over €2,000 to help you through a difficult time. Uh, if, you're, if you're at work paying high, higher tax too early, we've reduced the tax bans that you, you, know, you're, you're take, you can take home more of your money uh, and you can, we, that's encouraging people to do more work as well, take on the extra work. If you're on minimum wages, increases there. There's very targeted support for, towards childcare. 
So I, I believe this is a budget that will help families. It'll help people who are with, with disabilities or at home living on, on a fixed income. But also, it is about protecting jobs. And from my department's point of view, we have to step in here to support the businesses that are creating over two and a half million jobs in this country. Um, everybody that lives in our communities benefits from those jobs, and it's important that by supporting businesses, we're supporting jobs. I think we the balance right. Naturally, you'd like to be able to do a lot yeah. more, but you have to work it in the budget. We have to be very cautious of what's ahead of us for the next year. Okay. Everybody is concerned and worried, and we, okay. we can't guarantee what will happen with energy prices, so we're trying to step in as best we possibly can. All right. so Thanks, we Minister. assure people okay. that we will get okay. them through a different All right. time. Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, uh, I'm sure you'll agree that the budget will help to get a, a lot of people through the hard times that undoubtedly lie ahead. Some people will do very well out of this budget. Some people will gain by thousands of euro. Uh, but do you think anybody will be left behind? I, I think huge numbers of pensioners, of social welfare recipients, of workers, uh, of students, young people will be left completely behind. Um, I mean, it's difficult to know where to begin because I think the budget fails on very, very many levels. The pay, the one-off payments that the government are giving are like throwing buckets at a raging, buckets of water at a raging fire. They will somewhat compensate for the bills that people are going to face over the next few months. But on an ongoing basis, people are going to be less well off over the coming year than they were last year because the government have done nothing to actually control the prices of energy that are being charged by profiteering energy companies who are making absolutely extortionate profits, charging extortionate prices, and the, the money the government will give on one-off payments will quickly disappear and will go right back into the pockets of those energy companies and will be more than gobbled up by the price increases that people are going to uh, have to suffer over the next six months or so in particular uh, during the winter months. Uh, the On housing, there is absolutely nothing new uh, from the government. They're, they're, they have not allocated any additional money for the provision of social and affordable housing. And in fact, incredibly, they put five extra billion euro away in what's called the rainy day fund. So, you know, I mean, Mm. if ever there was a day when it's raining, it's now. That five billion euro could have been used used to expand the delivery of social and affordable housing. Mm. By, by buying up vacant properties, by stopping people being evicted from yeah. RAS and HAPS tenancies, and by actually delivering affordable housing, which the government have not done. Okay, maybe we'll ask the Minister to come back in on that point, because uh, it's not just raining, there's not just a hole in the roof, but there's so many people who don't have a roof over their heads, Minister. Yeah, so, so just, just to make a comment on that, I think Richard's been very disingenuous on that. He let himself down. Uh, the housing budget has been secured because it's a multi-annual housing budget. The spend next year in housing will be over six billion. Michael, a couple of years ago, when I was in the housing department, I, I was trying to work with a billion. Yeah. So it's six billion. There's a massive increase. Yeah, but on the in, day in the, 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 the day the minister published the budget, he also published a report saying uh, that the help to buy scheme is socially regressive, and he said that he would extend that up to the end of 2024. So, so Where's the sense in that? He, he also introduced this concrete levy, which is undoubtedly going to push up prices. Mm. So, so two things I want to say. First of all, the, the aim here is to get this six billion spent per year and to make sure we can deliver on the houses. And thankfully, we can see progress on the housing. I will agree with you and Richard 
it's still not enough. We need to spend this money every year for the next couple of years to try to deal with the supply of housing. No, but the so point, Richard Boyd Barrett put to you was that the government did nothing in addition to what was already yeah. planned and which is failing yeah. people. The point I'm putting to you is that uh, the Minister has actually extended a socially aggressive scheme uh, and he's introduced this concrete uh, tax, this levy, and he's introduced a so-called vacant property tax which appears to be futile. Right, so I'll deal with the three things there. First of all, on the vacant tax and the vacant property. There's a big effort and a recent announcement both last week and this week in the budget to tackle vacancy. The quickest way we can increase supply of housing is to focus on vacancy. We've had a number of schemes over the last couple of years which, in my view, are not working enough. So we've increased the funding to drive the grant towards if we wanted to do up a vacant property to 30,000 towards uh, an individual wants to do up a house to 50,000 if it's a derelict house. There's money set aside to bring forward brownfield sites in our towns for those who want to build their own house with them as well. There's a support in, the, in our cities as well to drive activity around housing. So on vacancy and then the vacancy tax will might, might encourage people who own these vacant properties to bring them back into use. That will help. I know that. Mm. Do you think that will happen, Richard Boyd Barrett? Will people self-declare? Well, come back to you in a moment, Minister. I want to give equal time if I can. Uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, uh, do you think that people will self-declare that their property is vacant uh, or not occupied uh, for more than 30 days a year? I, I think a lot won't. And given that they, are, they have to self-declare, uh, there's no huge pressure on them to do so. But to be honest, what's even more important is the extent of the vacant property tax is, is minuscule, particularly for the big property investors who are sitting on empty property, quite deliberately sitting on empty property, uh, because the value that that property is gaining by each year is multiples, multiples of uh, the amount that they would be required to vacant uh, to pay in the vacant property tax. So it won't impinge on them at all. Uh, and people need to understand that big property investors uh, are gaining, you know, 10, 15% over the last couple of years alone in the value of their property and property values are at an all-time high. So they're making a fortune by literally sitting on an empty uh, property. There's no incentive whatsoever for them to activate uh, that property. They're cashing in. And the worse the housing crisis gets, uh, the more more valuable their property is. So asking them to pay a €1,000 a year for the vacant property is nothing. And that's essentially what they'd be asked to pay. But I also just want to pick Damien up on the claim that there's £6 billion being spent on housing, that's absolutely not true. I mean, this government are just making these figures up. The uh, actual, uh, in the what's called the Book of Estimates, I always read the fine print of the budgets. In the Book of Estimates, last year there was £3.6 billion allocated to housing. This year there's £3.6 billion being allocated. And then when you look at how much of that is being allocated to social and affordable housing, it's about £1.7 billion. So, I mean, so, it's just so not true. Them in there, Michael. Yep, Minister. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just, just to say here, Michael, there's four and a half billion of capital spend directly uh, from the state of 2.6 through the LDA, which is the state agency and the housing finance agency, another 1.9 billion, and there's a current spend of 1.4 billion. That will deliver over 22,000 social houses. About 9,100 of them are brand new built. There's about 200 in, in target acquisitions. So I, I think I agree with you, we need to in, increase because if someone's in a in a house under a, a social housing scheme and the house is due to be sold, and local authorities are now encouraged to go in and buy those houses, something I've worked on for years. So that's an inter- a very interesting one. Mm. The mortgage to rent is over a thousand there and we also have long term. Is, is, right is he right in saying you're not spending six billion on social housing? 
we're spending six billion on housing. No, I'm certain. No, but but the, yeah. <laughs> is he well, right in saying you're not spending six billion uh, on social housing? Okay, so the way the money is broken down. Uh, <laughs> well, no, no, it's a simple question, Minister. Is yeah, he right? In... No, so sorry, Michael. Of course he's right because we're spending okay. six billion yeah. on all the housing programs. And for an example of yeah. that, the, the affordable housing budget is over a billion, and Richard mm. wants that too. And we both agree. We all agree. We need to do more affordable housing. So there's about a billion set aside for affordable housing, which will bring into the system this year about 5,500 houses. You criticise the health device scheme, Michael, and I disagree with you on that fundamentally. No, it's Mazars who've given, it's Mazars who've reported to the Minister, uh, the report was published on Tuesday, and it Sorry, says okay. that it's a socially aggressive scheme. Yes, what I meant was you've raised the health device scheme and, and, and there's questions about that. I want to say that's a scheme I was involved in setting up and one I am proud of. That has helped over 20,000 people to buy their first home. That scheme was designed because there was no houses being built for them in the first place. And it was designed to unlock the system. And it has worked. It has brought forward a supply of housing that is badly needed. Mm. Now, likewise, you mentioned the vacant property tax. In fairness, local, our local deputy there and colleagues, Deputy Fergus Dowd, has done great work on this over the last couple of years. And I believe it will work because it will be administered by revenue. And most people, no matter how, 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 what, what resources you have behind you, are, are, are afraid of revenue and don't ignore them. So I do believe it'll work and it'll, it will help us unlock it. But it's not on its own. It's in the combination of other schemes that support mm. bringing those vacant properties back into And that's an important area. point. Let's uh, put that point to Richard Boyd Barrett uh, because it's a, a point that uh, applies to all aspects of uh, the budget and it's unfair, the government says, to pick out one individual part of the budget uh, and say that's unfair because you're not taking into account the other benefits that people will receive. Uh, and when you look at it in the round, as they put it, uh, it, it benefits everybody far better than it might seem if you look at something in isolation. Well, I, I agree we should look at it on the round. And when you look at it in the round, rather than some of the individual <clears throat> headline uh, cash payments, one-off payments, the simple fact about this budget, to summarise it, is the vast majority of workers, pensioners, students, young people, those with disabilities, will be worse off next year than they are this year. That's the reality, because the extent of price rises of hikes in energy costs, of the rise in the cost of rents and housing and the general cost of living are very considerably in excess of what the government are giving people in terms of additional income and other supports. That is the reality. And secondly, on, this, on the housing situation, I mean, I just find it laughable that Damien refers to the LDA. The first LDA, Housing Social and Affordable Housing Project, is in my area, in a place called Shangana, right? A site that has been sitting empty for 15 years, and it's not going to deliver its first house, we are told, until 2024, and not a single sod has been turned on that site by the LDA. So I, I do not know what the LDA is doing, but the one thing it's definitely not doing is building social and affordable housing. And that is a critical part of the crisis we are now facing. I mean, we are unable to recruit nurses and teachers uh, in many of the urban centres because they can't afford the rents and the house prices. So it's feeding into a crisis right across society. Students are giving up their college places that they've earned, they've got the results for, but because of the cost of accommodation is so extortionate and the government have refused to cap rents, 
to bring them down to affordable levels and to deliver affordable mm. social housing. Students are deferring and leaving the country in many cases. OK, let's go and to the Minister because I suppose many of us uh, are acutely aware of the points that you make and they're all very valid points. They were valid points to a large extent a decade ago and it's one thing living with a, a crisis minister, isn't it? And a, a different thing uh, when that crisis continues 10 years on. So if I can just go back to the, to the issue in relation to deal with cost of living people's budgets, uh, and I want to give an example. We had a, 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 a good program last week where we, whether it was individuals putting forward, there were day warrants in the budget. And one of them was a pension living alone who was really worried could she deal with the cost of energy over the next couple of months. In that case, an example would be a similar person like that will receive uh, in total additional cash over the next um, 12 months but because of this budget, they go of €2,500. And that puts her in a position to be able to heat her home and pay her bills and deal with the worries she had for the next number of months. That was the focus of this budget. And I believe the budget has achieved that. We all know there's a crisis out there with energy. There's a crisis with cost of living. And that's why the, the main focus of this budget was to deal with people like her, a pensioner at home, living alone on fixed income and families under immense pressure. Mm. Many families could benefit by over €4,000 if you add in all the student fees, childcare reduction in costs, mm. the various tax measures. So this is a cost of living budget, and it, in my view, it will achieve that. And while it mightn't cover every euro, it will go a long way. OK. Richard Boyd-Barrett, the Minister is right, isn't he? I mean, you might say not all pensioners uh, get the living alone allowance or the fuel allowance, but if they do, they're going to see significant gains over the course of the next year. So not gains, and even Damien isn't saying they'll get gains. He, what he's saying is it will mitigate somewhat uh, the bills they're going to receive. But they, uh, to use his own words, it won't compensate for every euro in additional cost. And yeah, that's it'll come a long way with it. And this is it, 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 no, but, no, but Damien, you see, there was an alternative, which is to actually protect people and to control energy prices. People before profit put forward a bill to control the unit prices of energy, of electricity, of fuel and so on, which of course the government rejected. And the reason they won't do that is because they're not willing to stand up to the absolutely naked profiteering that is going on by the energy companies in the same way they're not willing to go on to, to challenge the naked profiteering going on by vulture funds and property investors by controlling rents, which we've also asked you to do. If I can just finish, all of the money, that, that the additional money that they are uh, giving people as on one-off measures will end up back in the pockets of those energy companies. That's the reality. Okay. It'll go right into somebody's pocket and then it'll go right back into the pockets of energy companies and landlords uh, and other corporate entities that are making a fortune out of this uh, crisis and who are responsible for this crisis. Okay. The government refused to All challenge right. We'll ask the Minister to conclude with a, a brief response, if you would, please, Minister. Yeah, so, so it is important to recognise while the government can control what we control uh, in terms of our 90 billion spend, they will be targeted to help people, help families, help those that work and help businesses and help the vulnerable people. Absolutely, that's uh, what we need to do. As well as that, and, and we also have to target the cost of energy. We will do that at a European level through European mechanisms. And we know that that work completes at the end of this week, which will deal with these energy companies who, who are making windfall taxes, who are abusing the system. And that will be done through Europe. And that will, in my view, help reduce the cost of energy. It will also give us additional resources to, to bring forward new, more and new support for this. 
people and businesses as well, because we are doing that, because it is right. There are people abusing this war. Uh, and, it, you know, the, 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 the issue today is because of the war, but it's been abused by many companies. That will be dealt with. And we'll do that because we're part of a European movement that is able to do that, because a lot of those companies are based outside of Ireland. But we will deal with that. OK, we'll look back on it all, undoubtedly, in a, a year. Uh, and hopefully, Minister, you'll be proved uh, correct and uh, we'll all be still here with our heads above the water. But we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, both of you, for joining us on the programme today. Fine Gael TD from Mead West, the Minister of State, Damien English, and Richard Boyd Barrett, who's a People Before Profit TD for Dunleary. Michael Reed on LMFM. Welcome back from the ad break. Let's have an ad break. I don't know what a tracker mortgage is. I don't know how to save money on my car insurance. I don't understand APR. Excuse me. What's this ad for? Financial regulator. If you've got a question about personal finance... All right, if you, if you don't remember it, <laughs> if you don't remember it, you might want to ask your mother and father uh, before today, uh, that is, uh, it's going back years, obviously, uh, when tracker mortgages were all the thing. Uh, today, uh, one of seven banks is about to be fined an awful lot of money, millions of euro, in fact, as was the case with uh, the other six financial institutions because of tracker mortgages. Let's speak to David Hall, CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association and co-founder of iCare Housing. Good morning to you, David, and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, you know what a tracker mortgage is, you know what they were then, uh, and you know what's happened in between. Tell us what's going to happen today, if you would, please. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, I think, look, today is, is a fine, a record fine from the Central Bank um, against Bank of Ireland, one of the seven lenders who screwed their own customers, really, in relation to the tracker mortgage stuff, and is probably one of the biggest financial scandals for consumers in the history of the state. Um, little solace to those 16,000 Bank of Ireland customers who were affected uh, by the scandal, and the 50 who lost property, and the 25 who lost their family homes, mm. given that... Um, this money doesn't go to them, this money goes back into the coffers of the central bank, uh, the regulator. And many commentators will make and many articles will be written around the amount of money paid out by Bank of Ireland. But it is important to remember that um, most of that money that's been paid out was money that was originally taken by the bank I guess, from the customer. So mm. we know the tracker issue is, has arisen now and people were, were, were on a tracker, they were put onto a fixed rate. They were supposed to be offered to go back onto the tracker afterwards, which was what they were... Uh, their contracts allowed to happen but the bank intentionally didn't offer them to go back on the tracker and put them on a variable rate uh, and the, uh, they lost out. a tracker mortgage the interest rate on the mortgage uh, was in line with uh, the interest rate that was being applied by the European Central Bank which wasn't always the case for customers who were on fixed or variable mortgages in, in this country and there were an awful lot of people who were on fixed and variable mortgages who were very uh, jealous uh, or uh, if you like of uh, people who were on trackers because their repayments were so low it was a great thing for people to get. Yeah, it was, and 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 it's, you know record record low levels of interest rates that were matched against ECB, which was great. The average you know margin was only one percent. So you know, and uh, yeah. we can see what's happening in recent uh, months in relation to the tracker rates have gone up now. But at that time, yeah. this was in a significant benefit, a significant bonus. So the bank told them they had to move off that tracker rate of what about one percent, if not less, to what? Do you want to a fixed rate uh, or indeed a variable rate and that they would have the opportunity after the end of the mm. fixed rate to go back on to that tracker rate? Uh, 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 what would those rates have been? For well, at the time, like, there, was a di- there, was a difference, there was a difference of a couple yeah. of percent each time, yeah. uh, Michael. There was a significant amount of money accumulated uh, over time. But also what happened was many people were then having their mortgage increased that ended up subsequently ended up getting into dif- difficulty. Yeah. And the people were making decisions. Like, people were making life decisions to yeah. 
not send the kids to the dentist, not send children to certain sports or activities or clubs and yeah. sign up, not make life decisions in relation to moving. Many people mm. were stuck in a trap where they wanted to try and increase the size of the home by building, extending or moving to a larger pro- uh, pro- uh, property and couldn't do that. They were stuck paying a higher mortgage than they had intended to do or mm. that they could have done had the bank offered them legitimately the rates that were they were contractually. And remember, right. it's been found that the bank was contractually obliged to offer the better rate and they chose they chose, they chose intentionally yeah. and not to do so. Intentionally and knowingly, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we've an awful lot of young people listening to us today who are watching the European Central Bank rates uh, because for the first time in a, a decade they're increasing and they understand what 0.25% of an increase means to them or indeed what it means to them in terms of their affordability uh, in buying a house and that it may become impossible for them to buy because the interest rates are, are increasing and where they stop nobody will know. Uh, but because of those increases that were applied to those who were on trackers wrongly, intentionally and knowingly by Bank of Ireland and the other six institutions. It's Bank of Ireland who will be fined today, but because they took that course of action, people's lives changed dramatically and sometimes ended. Uh, I mean, this did actually result in the suicide of a a number of people. People lost their homes, their livelihoods went uh, belly up and all sorts of things. Like once you start into a spiral of, of, of being in difficulty and being under significant pressure at a time where you've been intentionally moved across from a different product, like it has a knock-on effect. Like many people now can, you know, it's not that long ago this happened, uh, Michael, and many mm. people will not understand it and some will indeed have forgotten about it. But the impact this has had on people and the impact that today's fine will have on people revisiting it, given the impact it changed their lives, like this was immense. Pre- like not mm. everybody is able to deal with this pressure. Yeah. Many were not able to deal with this pressure. It had a profound impact on many people mm. and, uh, and, and still does to this day and changed the course of lives of people. And it's hard to quantify and understand that for, mm. for those who were not affected. But it did have that. And, you know, to have a bank that you trust, a yeah. bank that, and banking institutions that, you know, already were a cause of our initial crash, to then on the hot on the heels of that have this significant betrayal of trust mm. um, that had a gross impact on people's lives. It can't be understated. Fa- families broke up. People's mental health was impacted. Uh, people uh, turned to substance abuse, addiction and so on. Well, it impacted everybody yeah. in all of what mm. you said, and and like it's just completely despicable behaviour. And you know, it's it is also reprehensible that we have a a you know a sort of a Chinese walls type system within the within the central bank who have a statutory responsibility for consumer protection mm. with the regulatory authority over the banks. Like that is just yeah. you know nowhere else in the world could you just find that. That's just so and, Irish. And that was the interesting thing about listening to that old ad, wasn't it? Because they were advertising tracker mortgages and the financial regulator in, in the same sentence, which should have given people this sense of security that nothing could be done. But here it was done and it was all done for one objective, the bottom line. You know, one of the most, one of the most telling things, and I haven't seen this report that's been published today on, on, on Bank of Ireland, but the one that was published earlier in the year was AIBs. The most telling line in the entire thing was that in the regulator's report, it said the start date of this debacle started on X date, and the end date was March 2022. Oh, right. So that was the behaviour, that was the timing of the behaviour. So a lot of the banks, you've got to remember, when we started this off, Michael, originally, mm. and I did a number of conversations and interviews with you in relation to this, like the numbers kept changing. Mm. The numbers kept changing. And I just even looking this morning and Googling this morning, you'll see the number of people who lost their homes started at 10. It went up to 99, went up to 100. It went up to 300. Like every time they held back on the regulator, like they held back Mm. on their own regulator. They treated customers and the regulator and the country with utter contempt. And not one person, not one person in the banking institutions Mm. has lost a license, 
a job or has had any day in prison. Okay, it's a remarkable country. It's a remarkable country that has not learned from those sad, sad mistakes that can upend so many people. 40,000 customers across seven lending institutions. Mm. There may be some sense of justice today with the scale of the fine of €120 million, but the kind of problems that we've been talking about are not problems that can be paid for. No, and and I I actually think there won't be any justice. I think today they'll be angry. I think I'm angry looking at €100 of a fine saying, so what? So what? Who cares? £100 for what? Hundred million of their own money. These are people who made conscious decisions to screw their own customers, to breach their trust in a horrible, despicable way that had life-changing impacts on their lives. And some are not even in the bank anymore. And this is a banking institution that has had to pay the money. Not individuals. No individual penalties. No individual suffering. No individual loss of jobs. No individual loss of, of income. No individual loss of pension. This is an institution that pays money to its regulator for a fine. And the regulator would stand there beating their chest saying, we are wonderful, we are great. You were lied to. You were trampled on. You had to bring the bank pulling, dragging and screaming to get this information. And the numbers changed. Look at the initial numbers that were declared by the bank. They're not nowhere near the numbers that came out at the end. They're half. So this is a, 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 a sort of a despicable display of too much cosiness, in my view, between an entire institution and institutions in the mm. state that are way too close for comfort. Okay, and I, I did start off by saying uh, you may not remember it and ask your mother and father, but you've really shocked me uh, in what you've said there. This is obviously not historical if it went on until March of this year. David, I have to leave it there for the moment, though. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us as always. David Hall, CEO of the Irish Mortgage Holders Association and also co-founder of iCare Housing. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. You showed up yesterday with something that is inadequate and flawed, and I want you to correct it. There are three design errors. Number one, 500 euros is not enough. Not when you're facing the type of rents that people are paying. Number two, the tax credit is not refundable, and that means students and low-income workers are excluded. They don't get even the 500 euros. And thirdly, and crucially, for this to work and for renters to have relief, there has to be a ban on rent increases for three years. And I am inviting you, Keisha, to correct the error in your proposals made yesterday. Your proposals will drive more houses out out of the rental market, will drive more houses out of the rental market. It's a fundamental flaw in your entire approach. You're ignoring the fact that every year less people are renting out houses. Uh, And the idea of the ban would have a a detrimental impact, particularly over three years. Uh, Like, you need to get real in terms of the market out there in respect of people leaving it. Why are people giving up and don't want to let out houses anymore? No, no, it's not. It's because of the endless vilification that people like Deputy O'Brien and other... That's the Taoiseach, Michal Martin, and uh, the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, going head-to-head in uh, the Dáil yesterday on uh, the cost of renting uh, and uh, the challenges that many face. Let's speak to Mary Conway, who's uh, the chair of the Irish Property Owners Association. Good morning to you, Mary Conway, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme. We heard Michal Martin there talking uh, about why people are leaving the market. Is the government doing anything to keep landlords in the market? Good morning, Michael. Um, I'm laughing because I didn't actually hear that piece until you played it there now. And uh, he's all of a sudden, he's defending landlords. Um, We're devastated about the budget. It's completely a slap in the face for landlords. There's about 7,000 landlords leaving yearly. 
and you'll get figures from the RTV. They're only the ones that people are registering that are leaving. But if houses have been vacant or whatever, um, or tenants have left, you don't actually need to serve a notice of termination. So we actually think the figures are in and around 7,000 a year, which is devastating for the market. Okay, and that's because of government policy, you say. Uh, but yeah. can I ask you, is it a case of better the devil you know? Uh, because the Taoiseach uh, was referring to the Sinn Féin policy of a three-year cap on rents. Yeah. I mean, rents are, uh, if you look at the DAFT report, will tell you that they're up 12% over the year. Um, I'd love to see where they're actually getting that figure. That's possibly on the new rents that are coming in from institutional landlords releasing uh, very nice apartments in very nice parts of the city for people who are coming in from abroad and have um, a nice, um, a nice, uh, for want of a better word, support from their um, mm. their employers. They're, they're able to, to refer, they're, 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 they're well, being subsidised. They're getting yes, uh, help to pay for €2,000 a month in Dublin, 1500 in Louth and Mead on average. Yeah, and where um, the ordinary people who are... are and trying to rent um, a house anywhere around the country, um, the landlords are subjected to a 2% rent gap. So, you know, we're already pretty much in a rent freeze. Uh, most landlords I know haven't put up their rent since pre-COVID. Um, that, you know, if they're good tenants, they're quite happy um, to keep them in situ without uh, increasing the rent. So, you know, rent freeze is going to do nothing, only drive landlords out of the market uh, have you um, ever surveyed uh, what your members are charging in rent? You see, our members are in every part of the country. Mm. So it would be interesting, uh, though, wouldn't it? Because you're disputing the figures as real figures. Yeah. Uh, uh, because uh, I mean, there you, you you can't increase rent in line with uh, the increases that we're seeing of 10 or 12 percent if you're already renting because of uh, the rent pressure zones Uh, and you're saying that people are are renting for far less than that uh, because they haven't been able to increase it and they have this historically low rent uh, agreement with the tenant uh, if you like but we don't know what that means in reality on the ground do we? Well, what we know that is, if I have a property today and I decide to sell it because I want to get out of the market for whatever reason, and for argument's sake that I've been charging €1,100, and I'm giving you an example of somebody I'm working with at the moment, they've had a good tenant for the last number of years, they've been charging €1,100 for, I think, 10 years, and the going rate in the area is anything between €1,800 and €2,000. If I go to sell that now, I have to sell it to... Uh, a non-investor, because if an investor goes to buy it, they're stuck at the rent cap of 1100 euros 2%. Mm. Whereas if you have an apartment and you sell it and you've been living it there um, and it's never been rented, an investor com- can come in and rent it at 1800 Or you could leave it idle for two years, couldn't you? actually realistically afford to pay a mortgage Well, well let's, let, let's make the figure simple uh, to try and yeah. explain this because it's, it's a remarkable situation if you let's say you're renting uh, and just to round it off simply if you're renting out to somebody for a thousand euro and yeah. the going rate in that area is two thousand yeah. uh, if the property becomes vacant and you leave it empty for two years yeah. uh, then after two years you can rent it out for the two thousand so it takes two years to make back the two years rent that you've lost and then every year after that you're up a thousand a month well, that's one way of looking at it I know that's what the institutional landlords did during selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The, um, during the downturn when COVID was there and their tenants, um, their tenants left. It's but bad though, isn't it? But very few landlords can actually do that because they're mm. paying a mortgage and mm. now they're going to be hit with a vacant um, home tax. Mm. Mm. And, you know, it's it's all just... It's just reactionary. Um, there's just... The government just don't seem to see um, what's happening and that the number of people... Uh, like, they've put an extra 21 million in the budget for the homeless. Um, you know... Where are they coming from with that? They won't give an incentive to keep people in the market or get people into the market, yet they'll increase the budget for homelessness. Like, we should all be working together on this. The whole failure mm. of the rent, private rental system is because the government hasn't built enough social housing over the years. Yeah, I think you had high expectations from uh, the budget, uh, but they were dashed pretty soon. Well, there was nothing in it. I mean, there was something about... Um, uh, pre-letting expenses increased from mm, 5,000 mm. to 10,000. I don't see that impacting on anybody because there's no landlords coming into the market. Mm. That, that's for people who haven't been renting previously. All yeah. right. Okay, Mary, I'm out of time. I have to leave it there for the moment. Thank you, though, as always, for joining us on the programme. That's Mary Conway, who's uh, the chair of the Irish Property Owners Association. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Minister of State at uh, the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, Martin Hayden, joins us uh, to talk uh, about uh, this week's budget or next year's budget, if you prefer. Good morning, Minister, uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I suppose there's good and bad in it uh, uh, from a farmer's perspective. Uh, good morning, uh, Michael. Um, well, look, you know, I suppose just from my own department's perspective, uh, from the agricultural side of things, farmers to our businesses and have been impacted by the same increased costs of um, living and increased costs of production. Um, obviously, the three Fs have been a very big, significant impact on, on farmers' feed, fuel and fertiliser. Um, government stood ready to support our farming sector earlier this year with interventions 
to the tune of about 90 million euro between the fodder scheme, the tillage scheme, support for our pig sector and horticulture sectors. And, um, you know, this budget has um, seen us being able to increase our spending by 13%, um, you know, extend the um, the zero rate now of uh, excise on green diesel um, and have a number of different measures and support packages there, as well as significant funding um, for our new cap, which begins in 2023 also. Mm, there's a, a lot of concern, not just in the farming community, but across the board. And indeed, uh, we're told there's a, a lot of government backbenchers who are, are concerned uh, about uh, the concrete levy. And we're hearing calls from the farming community to be exempted from that levy. What do you make of that, Minister? So, look, we've had a number of interventions um this week that you know actually the, the concrete levy probably uh, would be associated with because they were they were good interventions for farmers in terms of um, accelerated capital allowance for slurry storage which is something that has been highly sought after from farmers and will help them meet environmental obligations as well um, and as well as increased uh, funding under TAM the target agricultural measures uh, scheme but you know I, I think in relation to the levy in general um, you know it, it is important for us to understand that when government makes a decision it doesn't have a, a magic money tree it can go to when we talk about spending very significant amounts of money on remediation uh, for the people affected by MICA um, then you know that is money that does have to be found from the exchequer that money has to be generated and um, you know many of your listeners in the Mead Loud area will be um, unfortunately familiar with the plight of pyrite um, and, and what's involved in that mm. and I think it's right that the state steps in and supports people um, who, whose homes are crumbling. Um, there's that, many, fir- that, there's many first time. Done. There's many first time uh, house buyers uh, who will say, "Why do I have to pay for it? Why am I be penalised for the mistakes of, of uh, the construction industry and the quarries?" Yeah, and look, you know, the the impact on on, on a new house you know, will be, in percentage-wise, uh, will, will be very small um, in terms of maybe about 1,500 uh, euro on, on, the, on mm. the price of a new home. Those, but, those uh, estimates vary up to 4,000, don't they? Well, it obviously depends on the size of the house you're building mm. or the type of house you're building. Um, and obviously the bigger your house would be, then, and then the more that would be. But the, the fact is, you know, you can't introduce, as a government, a multi-billion euro scheme to step in and help people who are in dire straits um, without having a revenue raising stream for that we can't just still in all young house buyers uh, will ask why why do I have to pay for somebody else's mistakes the ICMSA is saying uh, that uh, the levy will negate the benefit of changing the capital allowances as well as undermining the TAM scheme no, well, so look, it, it definitely, um, you know, it's it's really good that we had the changes, like the accelerated capital allowance scheme, uh, like the increases in the TAMs, because that is uh, very, very important in that area. But you talk about the first-time buyers, uh, there, there's a lot of things in, in this budget in terms of housing that support um, first-time buyers. You know, we've extended the Help to Buy scheme, which has helped over 33,000. A socially regressive scheme, uh, I think Mazars have reported to the Minister. Well, you know, I'd, I'd encourage you to maybe get some of your listeners on who have benefited from the scheme to realise the benefit it is for those individual house, households who are now in their own home. Who the the well-heeled listeners who can buy the bigger yeah. houses and uh, are able to afford bigger deposits now because of the scheme. But that's why it's called socially regressive, isn't it? No, but like, you know, I, what I would say extending the health supply scheme for a further two years mm. is just building on the help that's been there for, I think it's nearly 35,000 households today. Mm. And many of my constituents in Kildare have been uh, of a benefit of that. And these are hardworking people mm. who just couldn't get their foot on, on that ladder to start with. Okay. Um, and, and, and I do feel that it is um, 
along with a range of other measures in the housing area, you know, we've seen 25,000 new homes okay. built. And I think there have been reports that have suggested that it just means that people have bigger deposits than they would have had otherwise. In other words, to be able to buy bigger houses than they would have otherwise bought. And maybe there's more need for it I, now. I, maybe I, there's I more need for it now, Minister, just because... I deal with people who, who wouldn't have been able to buy a house without it. If I could get to the question with respect, Minister, uh, <laughs> there may be more uh, of a need for it now because the house prices are going to increase because of the concrete level that the government is implying and the Irish Farmers Journal is reporting today that that levy is going to result in a typical three bay suckler shed with a, a creep costing in the region of between 1600 and 1800 more due to this levy and that's why you know the the new tams kicking in in the beginning of January um, is obviously at, at a time there's, there's probably not too many farmers that are going to be building a static shed like that without availing of the TAN scheme. Many of our farmers have been um, have maxed out their, their drawdown of the targeted agricultural measures uh, scheme to date. So they start with a new slate in uh, January. And also then there's really, um, as we await final EU approval on our TAM scheme, um, you know, they will be supported in, in those measures and building that shed, but they'll also be able to invest in areas like solar um, as a standalone and not take away from that uh, fund that, that they would need for construction and building there. So in, in the round, you know, farmers are definitely better off from this budget. Okay, and that's uh, one of uh, the things that's highlighted as uh, one of uh, the good aspects of the budget in the Farmers' Journal. It lists what it considers to be the good and bad from Budget 2023. More cash for TAMs and a solar panel pushes, they say, new beef scheme, uh, fodder support scheme is being rolled over, farm tax reliefs extended, and there's a long list of positives, and that uh, can't go unnoticed. Uh, but they do have a, a number of issues, not just the concrete uh, levy. They're also very concerned about the cut to the flat rate of VAT payments. Yeah, and look, unfortunately, that's a calculation that outside of our, our hands or control in, in the Department of Agriculture, it is a, a calculation that's, that's made in terms of um, by revenue. Um, the, the flat rate VAT is for farmers who aren't registered for VAT, um, and the state gives them back um, a significant amount of money, over €400 million Euro, um, last year. And the, the change in that flat rate VAT um, system because of the higher commodity prices, um, how it's calculated also takes into account input costs, but it reflects the fact that about 40% of our input costs are from feed and fertiliser, which are zero rated for VAT. So they didn't help take it off. So um, in that space, we've seen the flat rate for VAT um, uh, support go from 5.5% down to 5%. Um, and, and that will have a, an impact for farmers who aren't registered uh, for VAT. Um, relatively small but it, it still is uh, an impact but it was one that was outside of our control. Okay, uh, there's a, a lot of pressure uh, on food supply uh, across Europe. Uh, do you think that this will be a, a good year or a bad year for Irish farmers? So I, I think it's a challenging year for Irish farmers because we, we see very high input costs and you know that is um, a big challenge for us in our food production system and as I said the areas of feed, fuel and fertiliser have been areas where we've been under significant pressure but the government has uh, stood in and supported them uh, in, in, in the production of fodder to make sure that we continue to have uh, the food we need and that we can continue to produce that food and our farmers have proven to be very resilient but it's really important that we were able to extend the um, and, and have a new fodder scheme uh, for farmers uh, and the initial payment of that will be in the end of this calendar year in December um, as well as being able to uh, have a new tillage scheme as well and introduce some new schemes uh, like the Lyman scheme, which is uh, actually a really important scheme 
that um, you know supports farmers uh, to financially to spread lime on their land. And you know, in my area, in the Department of Agriculture, with responsibility for research and innovation. Previously funded research projects have proven the benefits, financial benefits to farmers by spreading appropriate amounts of lime on their soil. So we have supported farmers with a soil testing um, scheme that encouraged them to test their soil, know what their soil requirements were. Now we're supporting them to be able to spread lime on that soil. And that ultimately in time will reduce the amount of artificial fertiliser they need to spread on their land, which obviously is the cost of which has gone through the roof because it's inextricably linked to very high energy costs. Uh, do you think it's true to say uh, that there's a lot of farmers uh, who just don't like the Green Party and would prefer a government that didn't involve that party? Look, I think it's fair to say that fairly regularly it would be said to me as a Fine Gael minister in government that, you know, you're only doing X, Y and Z because you're in a coalition with the Greens. And the point I would make back to them is when they would be talking about the likes of our ambitious climate reduction targets, and I would argue back the point with them that what we are doing is positioning farmers and agriculture uh, to be in a very strong position into the future. Our farmers are determined to deliver for the environment as well. Um, and I have no doubt that the vast majority of farmers I know want to do that, want to produce the food uh, more sustainably into the future um, and, and, and improve our biodiversity, improve our water quality in that process. But also, if you look at our 10-year food vision strategy um, in the Department of Agriculture, we are talking about increasing the value of Irish food and drink exports to the benefit for our farmers from its current value of €14 billion across the country to €21 billion Mm. by 2030. And the way we do that is by accessing higher value markets and getting a better return for our top quality produce. But all of those higher value markets and the other area of responsibility in the department that I have is for new market development and trade. And I know on my trade missions that those higher value markets all have an increased level of ambition in terms of what they require uh, a reducing emissions profile from that food production system. So I would argue back, as well as what we're doing being good for the environment, mm-hmm. um, it is actually a smart business position uh, place to position uh, Irish farming mm-hmm. and agricultural food production uh, in into the future. Having said that, Minister, do you struggle to explain to farmers or justify to farmers the increase in uh, the carbon tax? No, because, look, they understand that. And, you know, farmers understand this more than most because we have 1.5 billion euro ring-fenced from carbon tax receipts to go to agriculture and to support farmers in their just transition uh, to farming in more environmentally friendly ways in the future. And that 1.5 billion euro we see 81, billion of, uh, 81 million of it in this year's, um, for, for next year's budget as part of the New Acres Agri-Environmental Scheme. That's exactly how our carbon tax should be used, is to support farmers and to support businesses that have to make a very significant change in how they operate um, and to support them in that change. And where we've had, like there are some changes, um, you know, that farmers can make that are good for the environment and are actually good for their ma- net margin and bottom line in terms of reducing the dependency on artificial fertiliser, moving to the likes of multi-species wards, protected urea. But in some instances where there's a financial cost to farmers, we've been able to step in as a government using our resources that are gathered um, to support farmers to make those changes. So I think of the likes of straw chopping for um, tillage farmers. And the tillage farmers who needed to be financially supported to do that because they were very sceptical about it. And they're now saying back to me, after having done it, they see the benefit in their ground. They see they'll need to use less artificial fertiliser next year as a result of that. Um, and are very keen that we've been able to include that, a new 10 million euro scheme for that for next year as well. 
Okay. Thank you, Minister, for joining us on the programme this morning. That's uh, Minister of State at uh, the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, Martin Hayden. Now, I just want to mention to you uh, that uh, we'll be talking about Our Lady's Hospital in Navan uh, shortly on uh, the programme. Uh, and uh, there's been some interesting developments that you may be interested in hearing if you wish to stay with us. As I say, we'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the programme. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Let's uh, speak uh, to Father Sean Healy of uh, Social Justice Ireland now. Good morning to you once again, Sean. Thanks uh, for coming back to us. Uh, People will remember you spoke to us on Tuesday before the budget was uh, announced and you were hoping that some of the leaks that we were aware of and what was about to be announced would be changed before the budget. I don't think any of them were. And you said you'd come back today after you'd analysed the budget line by line as you do every year after the budget is announced and come back uh, with a considered response. Now, I have to say, Sean, I I think I've been speaking to you about budgets on radio programmes every year for 25 years or thereabouts. Probably tomorrow. Yeah, I I don't think I can remember an analysis that has been as critical as the one you've just published. Yeah, that could that could well be true because we are very critical. The, it's not that we that there are good things in the budget and we acknowledge those, but the bottom line in it is that the poverty gap, the rich poor gap, has been widened by 199 euro, and that's quite some achievement given the amount of money that was available. It means in effect that people on 100 grand uh, are going to be 199 euro a week better off. Uh, in 2023 than people on, uh, depending on core social welfare rates. And that I, it seems to me that when you have a situation where there's 595,000 people living in poverty, uh, that a priority for government should be to reduce that number. And instead of that, what we're going to find as a result of this budget is that the numbers in poverty are going to rise unless there are changes introduced between now and the full implementation of the budget in 23. Uh, and I think that's that's a, a very serious issue. The point about the €12 euro increase mm. in core social welfare rates, it lags behind the inflation of this year and, and next year. Mm. In both cases, there's quite an amount uh, uh, of, a, of a, a drop, if you like. And what does that mean in practice? It means that uh, people who are on fixed incomes, whether they're pensions or people on uh, social welfare in one form or another, uh, they're now caught in a situation where the value of the payment is going to be that much less in 23 than it was in 20, or is in 22. Mm. And I think that's a profoundly problematic issue, yeah. that the poorest are going to see the, the value of the small payment they get uh, being less than it, than, uh, than it was the previous year. There's a, a, another issue, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a, another way of looking at this, in that 2023 uh, might be better than, let's say, 2025 or 2026 because of these one-off payments. And the problem is, is that they're one-off payments. So if I'm a high earner and I get €831 of a tax break this year, I'll have that tax break in 2025. Uh, But if I get a a €12 increase in my pension, that's all I'll have in 2025. 
and that's the problem. You see, at the end of the day, like what you what you've seen is a situation in which somebody on, on fifty grand, for example, is, is sees their uh, in money increased by one hundred and ninety. They're going to be one hundred and ninety-two euro better off than a couple on social welfare. They 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 the. the the, you put your finger on it when you say it's on one side the changes are permanent, particularly on the tax side. They are permanent changes. They will persist in 23, 4, 5. On the other side, the welfare payments are only the most toward the 12, pay, 12 euro payment, but the rest is one off. So they'll get a double week, a double payment next month. But the problem with that is, uh, as the ad says, when it's gone, it's gone. And like the problem with all of these payments is when they're gone, they're gone. Could it and get yeah. a, could could it get worse than that? Uh, let me let me try and get yeah. under your skin now, uh, because I think you're going to say yes, it will. Because I think it was very clear in Pascal Donoghue's budget speech that next year there's going to be a new rate of income tax at thirty percent. Well, I'm, I, I I wouldn't bet on that just yet. Uh, I think there's there's a lot of resistance. Like of all the people who deal with this stuff professionally, who who look at the distribution, who look at the impact, and so on, I think they're all, almost universally are negative on the idea of introducing a thirty percent well, tax rate. The minister has asked revenue to get to work about putting in the mechanics for bringing in such a rate. That's right. Now. In actual fact, he makes a big deal about the mechanics, but the actual mechanics are relatively easy to do. And not alone that, but the revenue are brilliant at doing whatever the minister wants in this kind of thing. They're a very professional operation, and they will do that. I know, but in, in, individual companies uh, will have to change their payroll system and all that sort of Absolutely. thing. And that's, and that's the kind of thing he was talking about. And that seems to be the only thing that stopped it this year. It looks almost inevitable, There's reading problem. through the words, that that's what's going to happen next year. But the problem with it is this. Like uh, he made a big deal about the fact that, and he's right, that uh, an awful lot of the income that we're getting from tax is vulnerable because it's coming from uh, the corporate sector and it's kind of almost should be seen as one-off income side payments. Now, the problem is uh, we need to be building up uh, a broader tax base and an increased tax take if we're going to provide the services and the infrastructure. Like if we've got the services in health and education and welfare, the infrastructure in social housing, public transport and so on. If we're going to build these up to the level that most Irish people want and have consistently argued that they want, and need, in other words, bring it to Western European average levels at least, if we're going to go to that level, we have to increase our total tax take. And the idea of bringing in a 30% rate then, which actually is going to reduce the total tax take, to me, like it's a bit like the government present situation in mm. Britain, where the government is going one way and the British central bank is going another way. You'd be you know, like, more inclined I mean, to bring in a, a higher rate, uh, maybe 45 or 50% well, for, no, those all, for those who are on the 100,000, though. No, no, I, I wouldn't tell oh. myself about that. I actually, interestingly enough, my focus in this would be on broadening the tax base by including, by making the minimum payment from corporate sector, by making it that they have uh, to have a minimum uh, no. effective corporate uh, no. rate. No. Now no. you're, you're going back to Tuesday's conversation. You'd have no money for the budget then. You'd have loads of money for the budget. Not alone that. Uh, that like we, uh, you and I have uh, we've been having discussions about this for years. Yeah. As you say, ten, 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 com- ten companies they tell us are, are funding the increases that's this right. year. That's yep. true. Mm. And that's true. But the OECD, the, all the rich countries in the world, and including mm. ourselves, like okay, uh, they have all now agreed 
that they're going to have a minimum effective corporate tax rate of 15%. Now, this is a recommendation that we have been making for the best part of 20 years. Yeah. And the reason... Now, the, oh, the big resistor to it is, is the minister for, current Irish Minister for Finance. Now, he has got an gr- agreement that it won't go beyond 15%. OK, so if it went to 15%, what you'd have is a situation where uh, these companies could keep 85% of their profits. Mm. They could keep 85%. Mm. Mm. They'd have to, they, the maximum they'd be paying in tax would be 15%. But that 15% would actually mean in effect that we would have a much higher tax mm. take coming from that side. And that, that's where I would see it rather than mm. increasing income tax. It's a very interesting yeah, thing. Well, talk well, about well, progressives, that, that Ireland tax system is very progressive. It's Ireland's income tax system is mm. very progressive. But the overall tax system is not progressive. Yeah, well, if all the companies in the world paid 15%, they'd have no place to go and hide like Ireland yeah. at the moment. And the other side of all of that is that you wouldn't have children in the Horn of Africa dying from starvation. That's that's absolutely true. And that's one of those things. In fact, there's an item in the budget there in our response. Uh, People can see it on our website, uh, socialjustice.ie. But the the interesting thing on third world aid, uh, the government claims that it's after rising it to 0.44%, moving out of GNI star, moving it towards um, the UN target. But one con- there's one problem with it. They're including in there a number of different things, including uh, the, the money that they're putting into the to the climate uh, ad- adaptation, and including other other uh, other commitments that they have made separately uh, within the UN system and the COP uh, system as well for on, on, on climate. The, the bottom line in this is that there are a number of different headings that we should be uh, accounting for, but the government collapses all of that money together and basically hides what, which way the money is actually going, hides it from, from people like ourselves who analyse these things. That's mm. not good enough. If we're serious about the Horn of Africa, if we're serious about climate, if we're serious about the, b- b- bridging the gap between the rich world and, the, and the, the poor world, where the majority of citizens in the world or people in the world live, then we have to be serious about these commitments and not sort of bunching yeah. them together so and we that, look good and, in, in, in international tables. And that's before we get to what people would consider to be fundamentals of life living in uh, this country. And you're saying that in the year ahead, people will be looking at uh, the cost of accommodation, heat, light, food, clothing, personal care, entertainment, education, transport, TV license, communications, refuse, collection, household goods, health insurance, bank charges and uh, putting away a few bob in savings. All of that uh, should be what we would consider to be fundamentals uh, in life for people living in this country but it's not going to be possible for some so if that's the case what will give well for us what we basically are arguing is that the, the, the budget decision on welfare rates should be changed now there is a potential to do that uh, Budget change, budget uh, decisions have been changed in the past because older people reacted, or because taxpayers reacted. If you remember the time of the individualisation of the tax system that Charlie McCreevy went on with, uh, there was a huge reaction to that, and it, they changed it within a week. Uh, now, the, the, the bottom line is what we're saying is. What government needs to do is in, in the social welfare bill before the end of the year, which will go through the Doyle and Shannon, then what we should do in that context is increase 
uh, the welfare rate from 12 euro a week to 20. Now, the money is there to do it. And very interestingly, yesterday morning on radio, uh, the Tarnished has said that he would look, that they were quite uh, ready to look favourably on suggestions from the hospitality industry that they deal, that they extend the 9% VAT uh, uh, application Mm -hmm. and so on. So if if they're prepared to do stuff for the hospitality industry, surely they do it for Ireland's poorest uh, who basically are being left further behind as a result of this budget. Okay, Sean, I have to leave there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the programme as always. That's Father Sean Healy, the Director of Social Justice Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, review into closing the emergency department in our ladies' hospital in Navan has concluded. The 17 members who make up the review team are believed to have held its final meeting on Friday of last week. The team will now set about drafting its report, which was commissioned by the Minister for Health. Stephen Donnelly set the objective for the team to determine the process for supporting the safe and effective reconfiguration of services at Our Lady's Hospital in Navan. This means the emergency department will close in Navan and that a 24-hour medical assessment unit will be established in Our Lady's replacing the ED. The review into the process for closing the emergency department was commissioned in July. The terms of reference call for a rapid review, but LMFM understands that it could take as long as 10 months since the review got underway before the Minister will be able to act on the group's recommendations for closing the emergency department. Sources close to the process say the review team hopes to deliver its report to the Minister in the next six to eight weeks. All going to plan, this would mean Stephen Donnelly will receive the recommendations for closing the emergency department in mid-November. There is some concern in the HSE, however, that this deadline will not be met and that because of the Christmas holidays, the report will not be presented until the new year. Implementing the report could result in further delays and actually closing the emergency department until March or April of next year. This news today adds to an already very long list of questions for Stephen Donnelly about how he has managed this issue as Minister for Health. Keep in mind, the Minister has been told in no uncertain terms about the risk to patient outcomes, including the potential of the unnecessary loss of life in Navan since November of last year. The Minister has also been formally advised of a number of close calls in the hospital where doctors say patients were lucky to survive. Doctors in the hospital are said to be very concerned that somebody will soon die. In fact, they say it is inevitable because they say the hospital will not have the resources to save the patient. This is known to the Minister But in the worst case scenario that we are outlining to you today, it will mean that the Minister will have failed to take any action for a period of 18 months. Well, that's not completely accurately, actually, because what the Minister has done since last November is block the closure of the emergency department, despite being told that failing to close the unit will cost somebody their life. We've asked the Minister if he is comfortable to knowingly allow this life-endangering situation to continue for 18 months, to ignore the medical expertise that someone will die unless he acts for 18 months. 
Unfortunately, the Minister doesn't give interviews to this programme about Navin. We've not asked the HSE to comment on this situation because, as we have repeatedly reported to you, the Minister has twice placed a gagging order on the Health Authority. Officially, the HSE says it'll not comment on the review until the process has concluded. But we know that is because of a ministerial order for them to stay stum. Let's speak uh, to local Sinn Féin TD, Darren O'Rourke. A very good morning to you, Darren O'Rourke, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme. What do you make of uh, the situation as we outline it to you today? Well, it's, it's, um, unfortunately, it's, it's as we might have expected. Um, we know that the, like we had said from, from the outset that this review was, was window dressing, it was a whitewash. We, we, we forecast that they would come with some sort of a review, that the terms of reference would be uh, very constrained. Um, and I think, you know, we haven't seen the, the recommendations of it. Uh, as I say, the, the terms of reference constrain what those terms, what those recommendations will be. Um, and I, I would suspect that the recommendations will be a long wish list of the, the necessary resources uh, to push ahead with the, the closure of Navin ED. Um, and you're right to to say that you know the minister has been completely missing in action. Um, he has avoided and delayed in this issue, um, and has failed. Uh, and that's the point I think you're making, Michael. He has failed to address an acknowledged risk that is there, and and that has the the the, the potential to put lives at at risk. Um, now, where I fundamentally uh, differ with the minister and fundamentally differ with the HSE uh, corporate, uh, I agree with uh, those consultant doctors uh, in Navan and in Drogheda who say the HSE's proposal will in fact make matters worse. Um, uh, I, I believe the, the solution here is to invest in, in Navan Hospital to bring it up to a standard to address those risks. But what we have is, is as you've outlined, a minister who is completely miss, miss, missing in action, um, who is failing to intervene. Whatever the rights and wrongs, whatever your your professional or political opinion in relation to um, what the solution should be, the, the minister is, is, is taking none of them. A spokesperson for the minister has said that it would be inappropriate for the minister to comment further on this review now that it has concluded until the review has been presented to the minister and he has had time to assess it. But what we do know is that there have been a number of close calls, that those close calls where people were very close to losing their lives have been reported to the minister and reported to the minister in writing and that the minister has known that patients have been lucky to survive and that the minister has not acted for 18 months quite possibly it would seem between November and March and April of next year. Yeah, and that's the case and, and, and I would add to that um, a further criticism that the, the minister has avoided uh, in every way possible um, the alternative solution here, which is to invest in Navin Hospital, he has blatantly refused that. So, so you know, and, and I'm not a fortune teller, but I expect what we will see in this report is a long list of the necessary resources to be in place to safely close Navin A&E. And that will be, you know, acute beds and staff at Drogheda. It will be 
huge investment in general practice in the Mead area. It will be huge investment in the National Ambulance Service. And it will be little more, in my opinion, than a wish list, a wish list that will never materialise. And so that will continue with the risk in, in, in Navan Hospital. It will actually transfer the risk if they do push ahead with the closure to Drada Hospital. So, so, so the risk that you're talking about, the risk to life, will move if the HC have their way from Navan Hospital to Drogheda Hospital, in my opinion, because the resource that they identify okay. um, as needed mm. won't, won't materialise. I understand what you're saying. Uh, and, you know... Uh, I think a lot of people would agree with you. Invest in the hospital, make it safe. But the the point is that it's not safe, and I think you agree with that, and you understand that, and you think that's a a, a valid point and one that should be addressed. No, absolutely. No, that, that's that's my point in relation to this. That um, that what we have a situation here is we'll have a we'll have a, a review that points to a whole lot of resources that are needed that will never be delivered. Mm. And the alternative is invest in Navan Hospital, which isn't even being considered. That's okay, my, my deep criticism. But let me ask you to look at, at this another way, uh, if I, I, I can. I think you've got. Um some medical uh, expertise, uh, you're a lab clinician, uh, um, but uh, imagine that you didn't. Imagine um, that you were somebody like Stephen Donnelly. Uh, I think he's uh, a trained journalist or works in PR or something like that, didn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. well actually, at, at one stage, he worked with a, a private consultancy group that that were involved in uh, um, health service planning, McKinsey, you know, and I think okay. the guy is okay. yeah. Harvard-educated, but you wouldn't yeah. know it by, okay. uh, I have to say, anyway. Okay, okay, well, that, that, okay, that, I'm glad you said that. Um, but the, the point here is that we're talking about real-life situations, real doctors working in a local hospital, struggling to save lives. They don't have the tools to do the job. Uh, and when somebody has managed to pull through or they've managed to get them through, uh, they're wiping their brow thinking this can't go on. Uh, and they've made their views known to the management of the hospital. The management of the hospital has made it known to the national executive. The uh, HSE executive has made it known to the minister. And the minister has sat on his hands. Uh, and the minister is being told about real life situations where people nearly died. Not one, not two, several of them. Uh, and the minister is acutely aware of that. The minister's being told uh, it's not by chance. It will happen again and somebody will die unless you do something. Now, as you say, the minister has many options. He, he has the option of investing in the hospital to make it safe or he could close the emergency department because it's not safe. Uh, if you were the minister uh, and you were hearing the medical expertise telling you that it's not safe, somebody will die if you continue uh, as is, and you didn't have the wherewithal to invest in the hospital to make it safe, would you close the emergency department? Well, I think that the, the, one thing, um, the one thing the minister can't do is ignore those uh, concerns that have, been, that have been flagged. The one thing he can't do is ignore it, and that's what he, what he is doing. Um, what, what I am saying is that I'm firmly of the opinion that the investment in Navan Hospital is what is needed to bring it to a standard. I think there's a compelling case, an increasingly compelling case, given the the population, the demographics, also the change in nature of of, of medicine, um, the subspecialisation, but also uh, uh, the the job sharing, the feminisation of 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 medicine. I think there's a a real and compelling case for for maintaining service and enhancing services at, at Navan Hospital. What the minister can't do 
is ignore the repeated calls, uh, 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 cries of concern uh, and, and identified risks. He, he cannot do that and that's what he is doing. Just to emphasise that point, for 18 months and to gag the HSE from making those concerns known to the public. Absolutely. I, I, I agree entirely. That, that, that is a very fair criticism and it's a complete, I believe, uh, failure in, in ministerial responsibility. Um, I, I, I think the, the, the argument I would make is that, um, that it would be far more efficient, uh, it would be, uh, could be done more quickly and in the longer term is the right move which in terms of the options here um, is to invest in, in Navin Hospital because I don't believe the type and the, the, because bear in mind we're, we've just had a budget that is going to heap additional responsibility and, and burden onto GPs who are already under-resourced so the idea that we will be able in County Mead to uh, pr- provide the additional GP resources to make uh, community services and the medical assessment unit uh, safe in Navin just it, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me. I don't see that happening. We know from past performance because consultants at Drogheda have specifically okay. written to the minister that they had been promised resources when previous reconfiguration, when free, previous bypass protocols were introduced, they never got the staff. That's the, that's the pattern consistently across the 26 counties. The reforms happen, uh, there's promises and commitments of additional resources and they never come and matters get worse. That's, that's the concern that has been raised here. Okay. What the minister needs to do is invest in Navin Hospital. Alright, that's where we leave it for the moment. Thank you indeed. Darren O'Rourke, Sinn Féin TD from Eve East. Michael Reed on LMFM. Structural investment in child care, reduced child care costs, free contraception, publicly funded IVF and a reduction in the cost of education are, are some of the measures in Budget 2023 that have been welcomed by the National Women's Council of Ireland. Orla O'Connor is its director. A very good morning to Orla uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, some some, some significant step forwards. Absolutely. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of positives in this budget. And I mean, we've said it's a breakthrough for for women and for childcare because this is the first budget that will will start to, it won't reduce them enough, but it will really start to reduce childcare costs. And also it's at a time when childcare providers cannot increase the fees. So previously when supports were given, fees often went up, whereas now free fees are frozen. So this reduction goes goes directly to the parents. And the government have said it's about 25%. And that obviously depends on what you're paying. So we know that costs in Dublin, for example, would be higher than in other parts of the country. So that might mean, you know, that, you know, if you're living, I think some of the, the lowest costs might be, mm. let's say, what's common, you, you know, you, you would get more. Yeah. Or you, you'd get, you know, your fee would reduce by more. In, in, so li- in line with house prices, if you like, or because, I mean, the, well, cost, of, the, the cost of childcare is a, a small mortgage or a, a fairly decent mortgage as far as some people are concerned. Yes, it is. And I mean, so it's, so it's approximately €170 Euro per month in terms of reduction. Now, we've said very clearly in the Women's Council, we know that that type of investment is needed 
over the next two budgets to, you know, you would have to keep going and the government are going to have to keep this commitment going over the mm. next two budgets. If parents in Ireland are to experience what parents across Europe consider totally as normal, and um, because we're coming from such a low base where childcare costs have been extremely high and there hasn't been that level of government support. So that's why, you know, we need this to continue. So we're very clear that, yes, this is a really important breakthrough, but it needs to continue over the next two budgets. Mm, and that the decision to have children shouldn't impact on people's decision to have families or what size their family should be. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked about the childcare crisis for, for a long time and it has such an enormous impact on families. It's an impact, as you say, in terms of deciding what to have children or how many children in your family. And it's also had an enormous impact on women in terms of women's choices, in terms of part-time work, full-time work, when to work, where to work, because so many of those decisions have been based around trying to do a combination of childcare between family support than what you could afford to pay for. And we need a much, much better system. Okay, and family planning is uh, something that everybody should be uh, free to decide themselves. And there's a lot to do with family planning specifically in this budget. Yeah, it's, it's very positive that the Minister for Health has now, you know, for the second year done this real strong package on women's health and we've been campaigning in the National Women's Council for universal contraception and now we're seeing so we started last year we went up to the 25 year olds and now this budget is, has um, broadened that out now to 30 year olds and again it's something we want to see continuing but We know that the the costs of contraception are really prohibitive and this is about being able to make the best choices with the type type of contraception that you want to be able to use, whether it's, you know, long term and that's Mm. more, you know, that's more costly. And then also the announcement of uh, publicly funding IVF. We know how important this is for couples and couples have been campaigning on this and talking about the really high cost of IVF. Mm. and how difficult that's been, particularly for couples who may need, you know, who have gone through two and three rounds of IVF. And spent thousands, yeah. Spent thousands Mm. and have got loans and have put themselves Mm. in debt over it. So this is, we don't have the details yet in the department. I was just going to ask you, do you know how it'll work? Uh, Because this is a a, a first, isn't it? It is, absolutely. Now, we know that it's going to be um, sort of rolled out through the fertility hubs, which are attached to some of our maternity hospitals um, and I know there's the intention to, to widen that but the, but the department haven't uh, released the details because this won't be coming on stream as far as we know I think until September next year. Okay and then there's the cost of uh, school books for primary school children uh, they're going to be free, uh, the reduction in student fees. I take it the free GP visit card uh, will be welcomed as well by everybody not just women. Yeah, it's very significant and and it's important in terms of sort of rolling out universal public health care. Um, and I'm, I mean, I think the health pieces in this budget are interesting because they're sustainable. So mm. we've seen, you know, there's a series of, of measures which is about the once-off supports to get people through the cost of living crisis. But they're the things that last and that are going to be really important in the long term. Now, there are things we are concerned about in this budget. So, for example, while there's been these positive once-off measures um, you know, double payments, for example, in child benefits. We are concerned with the fact that the social welfare rates were only increased by €12. Euro. So, you know, once the effect of those once-off payments go, you know, we're, we're still left with 
you know, weekly payments that will be well below what inflation is. So that's a real concern. And there was certainly, I think, you know, throughout all of the organisations that were working with groups in poverty, um, we were looking for far more. We were looking for an increase of €20 per week um, because that would have kept pace. And the fact that we're talking about 12 is quite low. Orla, I'm out of time. Thank you, though, for your time and for joining us as always. Orla O'Connor is uh, the director of uh, the National Women's Council of Ireland. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you. Or book a new showroom appointment on 087 660 4237. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.